Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Brilliant to be here this morning. And uh, apologies to Jeanette and Charlie, I think, as well, actually, for saying that we were only reading to verse 19. Uh, thankfully, it doesn't end on the, fri- the frightened state of the disciples. It ends on Jesus' presence with them, which is a much better place to end. Amen? <laughs> uh, I just want to echo uh, the comments that Charlie's already made uh, just about this uh, very significant moment that we're in uh, and the time of reflection that it is for uh, the church and the nation and probably the world indeed. Um, it, is a, it is a solemn time and uh, in that I think there's uh, actually great opportunity for us and for this world. It's a significant time. It's a significant time, and uh, I sent an email out to the church mailing list yesterday, just kind of flagging the different practical arrangements. Sorry, I've just realised I forgot to turn my microphone on. Apologies. Yeah, just flagging the different um, arrangements that were happening today in terms of service times and things. And in that email, I was mentioning that there is a sense of this: the collective consciousness of our society, uh, our nation, our world. Uh, being plunged into really very profound matters in these days, matters of, of life and death, and also questions, as Charlie said, that are very relevant for us as followers of Jesus, questions of service and duty, and also issues of, crucially, glory and splendor. And uh, all of that is happening in these days with quite a remarkable frequency, with very explicit Christian connections. I was so struck on Friday night, 6 p.m. on BBC One and on the BBC News Channel, they showed the full hour-long service, including hymns, prayers, scripture readings, and a sermon. They chose to show the whole thing, much straight after the King's speech, and they held off their very extensive commentary on that speech until after that service. That's quite remarkable in this world that we live in, which, let's be honest, we, we, we regularly say, I think we rightly say, that the Christian faith is increasingly marginalized, and those who hold to the truth of the scriptures and lift up that truth, you know, we do often feel the pinch of that in this world that we live in, and that's right. So then it's quite remarkable when moments like Friday night and all these uh, moments are going to come, other Christian services are going to happen in the coming days. And one of the topics before us in all of this is the nature of power. The nature of power. I was struck by an image of Buckingham Palace the day after the Queen died. I think Charlie's got it for us uh, here. Um, I I just don't don't know how well you can see that, but the, the main point I wanted to draw from that image, you can actually see right there at the top, something looked a little wrong to me in that image because I noticed the flag was flying Normally, as it normally would, uh, while every other flag around the nation was flying at half mast. But of course, I, I realized, and there was comments made to this effect, that there wasn't a mistake that that flag was flying high. The point is that the transfer of power from Queen Elizabeth to King Charles was instantaneous. There, there, there was never not a sovereign over the nation. Uh, Telegraph columnist Madeleine Grant wrote the following. In an uncertain world, there's something hugely reassuring about the smooth transition of power from Elizabeth Regina to Charles Rex. And uh, I think we've seen many elements of that strong atmosphere of power. 
in all these historical institutions and the formalities uh, playing out one after the other. Now, it's worth noting that maybe some of you are internally screaming right now because you don't really like the institution of the monarchy and you may be quite happy to you know, recognize the importance of the loss of Queen Elizabeth but, but the idea of the monarchy and all, and all the power and all the display of that might be a difficulty for you and there are a range of views on that. But I think that something, as we think about this idea of power, something that I think probably all would agree on is that the remarkable way that Queen Elizabeth carried the, uh, herself in light of the power that she had. You know, the words that I think have already been mentioned, humility, care, service, the idea of her submitting herself to a bigger calling, and certainly not just seeking to absorb power for herself, or for her own sake, or her family, but, but seeking to allow the way of that to be known as, as a blessing, as, as a help to our nation and other nations of the world. And I think whether you, whatever you think of the monarchy, people would look at some of those, the way that that played out in Queen Elizabeth's life, and would, I uh, think, broadly respect and, and appreciate that the way that she carried the power that had been given to her. Power is, is not a very uh, oft-pondered topic in our culture, and in our society. I think because, truthfully, power is abused so often. But it is an important thing, and to be honest, it's right at the heart of the passage that Jeanette has just read for us in John chapter 6. We're going to look at two, these two amazing stories together. And I think when you zoom out and ask, what, what are these stories really all about? I think most strikingly, most fundamentally, you'd have to say that these miracles are a display of the power of God. And so at this time when this is all over our TV screens and in our consciousness, it's interesting for us to ponder the power of God here, uh, most, most importantly way more important than anything you're going to see on TV in these days. The power of God feeding well over 5,000, possibly as much as up to 20,000 people once you include women and children. 5,000 men feeding all those people with a very small packed lunch, walking on water. These are displays of the power of God. Now, one of the ways this is communicated to us in this passage is in how understated all is. Now, that is not a point of connection with what we're thinking about in these days. There's nothing about understatement in what we've been watching on the TV. But in John chapter 6, the power of God is just so powerfully understated. And it's remarkable and it teaches us something. There's no big build-up in both of these stories. There's no commentary from John specifically in these verses as to why Jesus did what he did. So if you take the first story, the miraculous feeding of this huge crowd, there's barely even any comment on the reaction of the crowd. No amazement is recorded at what happened. No awe is noted down. And it's even more understated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Interestingly, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And at least in John, if you look at verse 14 there, at least in John, you, you, you can see that the people thought something special about Jesus because of what had done. Since when the people saw the sign they had done, they said, 
This is indeed the prophet who's to come to the world. So there's at least a, some degree of connection and response there. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says nothing. All it says is the people ate and were satisfied. And then the story goes on. You think, what? This incredible miracle. And that's all Matthew, Mark, Luke, that's all you're going to say as to the reaction in this moment. It's just incredible. And, and there's not even any detail as to how this actually happens. Look at verse 11, right? Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, and I lost my place, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, and nothing may be lost. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable the way that that's expressed. All it says is that in the distribution, they have as much as they wanted. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm left sometimes wanting a bit more detail. How did this actually happen? You know, was there one specific moment where the five loaves and two sort of pickled small fish, that's probably what they would mean. Was there one moment where they multiplied into this huge supply of food, like bursting out of the little boy's pack lunch carrier? Who knows? Or is it just the case as Jesus put his hand into the basket to pass out a loaf to someone? When he put his hand back in, there were the same number of loaves and fish there, and, and so it went on. Or, um, you know, I want to know, did, it, did these loaves appear out of nowhere? Or did they, you know, like the picture of two of a cell dividing into two cells, did the, did the loaves sort of divide into two as it all happened? And, or maybe it's the case that what actually happened in the basket was a little piece of dough went into the basket and maybe Jesus just at the perfect temperature instantaneously baked like thousands of loaves of bread. And I like the sound of that because I love the smell of, of bread uh, being baked. You know, we just don't know how this happened. Because the passage doesn't tell us. And friends, I think in this, we get a glimpse of the power of Jesus. I think the point is, this is no big deal for Jesus. This is no struggle for him. It's no hard work for him. It's no strain on his resources. The multiplying Same with the walking on water. Again, there's just so understated. Look at verse 18. Uh, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Right. <laughs> I think I would be too. I mean, at least here we get a reference to the fear of the disciples uh, as a reaction to what has just happened. Again, as for the, the walking on the sea, no details. I want some details. Don't you? Did, did each bit of the sea become firm as he put his foot down on it uh, and then it went back to water and then the next bit went firm? Or was there like a path that opened up that all of it became firm as he moved towards the boat? Uh, or maybe it wasn't, maybe the sea didn't change at all. Maybe it was just that Jesus defied gravity for those moments and he just gently rested on the water. I'm left wondering, you know, it says there was a there was a real wind that storm. I'm wondering, did Jesus have to navigate that or did that all calm around about him? Like I was wondering, did he have to climb over the waves like that were that were that were all around him? Or did it become perfectly calm? I'm also wondering, what was Jesus' demeanor as he walked towards them? Was he was he smiling? Happy to see them? Were were his steps like normal steps you think as you were strolling along the road, or were they like Hey, just so you know, I'm walking on water steps. You know, like, I think we would change the way we were walking. If we were walking, I want to know, how was Jesus 
walking and again we just don't know all we know is that we're every other human being who sink deep into the cold scary water Jesus walks towards his disciples the point of all this is clear friends behold the power of God displayed here in these miracles of his son the Lord Jesus and and we're not just to behold but we are to respond because although it's true I said earlier that John doesn't really comment on why Jesus did these things in this passage we do know that he comments in general as to why these signs these miracles are recorded in the book of John if you would just flip forward to John chapter 20 And these are verses that we have read already many times and we will read again many times. The end, the last two verses of John chapter 20, it says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here's why. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I don't know about you, but I just love when the Bible is just so crystal clear. Why is John 6, 1 to 21 in the Bible? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, have life in his name. So I think the most urgent question for us, friends, is do you believe this? In John chapter 6, do you believe Jesus did this? Do you believe that it's true what is written down here? Do you believe that this is just one of multiple other signs of Jesus that speak to his awesome power? That the power of God is so great that multiplying food and walking over the waves is no struggle, no hardship for the Son of God. And and, and we can look at, not just this, but just at his work in general. Do you believe that this is what Jesus has always done? Remember Colossians chapter 1. By him, all things were created. All things were created through him, through Christ, and for him. Do you believe that this is what Jesus is still doing today? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And also we know that this is not just a past or a present reality, but this is what Jesus is always going to be doing. Revelation chapter 21 says this, The former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Our our journey into eternity with God is not going to be a static, boring reality, but we will be welcomed in to this endless cycle of beautiful creativity. Of creator God himself. Incredible. May we behold this morning the power of God. The power of Jesus. Now just as we begin to come to a close, I just want to ask ourselves, where, where else might we see this power? I mean, here it is in John chapter 6, but day to day, in the life of our church family, we're about to welcome another member into our church, a guy by the name of Steve Bucket. Steve is uh, a part of the Hillview church family and and has had a remarkable, very difficult life. 
and has shared of that. We, you, you might remember his baptism at Balmeda just over a year ago and has spoken of that. And um, a, just a, a week and a half or two weeks ago, Mike Wind is one of the elders and I had a chance just to sit with Steve and hear his story of faith. And it was truly, the words overused, I overuse it, but it was truly awesome to hear of the power of God at work in Steve's life. I mean, still, like me and like you, I'm sure, still lots of issues, still lots to work through with God. But my goodness, just to hear of the, the radical transformation in his life, the way that God had opened his eyes to see him and to see this whole world entirely differently. To, to, to hear him testify of the forgiveness and the freedom in Christ that he knew and was seeking more and more to live in day by day. The fresh revelation of God that he had given, the fresh hunger and passion for God's word and so on. It was just so wonderful. And I came away fired up because I'm like, that's the power of God at work. That is the power of God. And how many other stories could we think of, of lives that have been changed by God's power? Friends, it's why we need to continue, probably more so, to to share testimonies with one another. Because let me say this, there is nothing more amazing than that. A life turned around by Jesus, for Jesus. You think of bread and fish and walking on water. I mean, there's not much that's more incredible than that. But let me say that God taking messed up sinners like me and like us and welcoming us into his family is the most incredible display of his amazing and awesome power. Listen to Colossians 2 verse 12 says this, you were buried with Christ in baptism. Yes, you might understand that with reference to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked. That's, that was our state before God. Colossians 2 goes on, you know, you were buried with Christ in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith, listen, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that brings us alive in Christ Jesus. Absolutely incredible. And that display of God's power was so encouraging to me that Tuesday afternoon to hear of it in Steve Buckingham's life and in our lives as we share these stories together. I want to just share some other ways we've seen God's power at work in our community of faith in these days. Think of what God is doing in the lives of our young people just now. We're going to have a baptismal service very soon. And that will at least feature one or two of our young people. And we're so excited about that. And by the way, I hope it's not just young people. Anyone here who loves Jesus, if you're not yet baptized, let's let's get that sorted out. But the young people are in just such an awesome place at the moment. They, They had magnitude, which was instrumental, used by God to fire them up. And then just two weeks ago, Today, um, Sunday night, we had a prayer meeting over at Hillview at the same time as Ascend. <laughs> we walked into the courtyard, and there's this like crazy like obstacle course or something that the youth leaders had set up. And there were 36 young people that night who were present for the first week of Alpha. Get this, 10 of whom were there as a direct consequence of invites that came uh, to their friends to come along to be part of Alpha. 
10, you know, so, so 26 in normal youth, and then 10 who have come because the kids have taken that bowl and brave step and said, hey, come along. That's the power of God at work. I wonder how many people in this room are here because of the invitations that we have put out to our friends and family this week. Not me, sorry, to say, God help me, right? I mean, just incredible to, to, to hear what God is doing in our young people, and then also to see them serving in Holiday Bible Club, where you know, dozens of kids were ministered to over a, over a wonderful period of days. We're just celebrating God's work in, in, in kids' fun nights that are happening, and in the very important ongoing work of Crest, which is happening right through there. Children's Church, which goes on every week. The power of God at work in our church family. It's absolutely wonderful. And even when you just step back and ponder the existence of Kintour Community Church, I was reflecting with Hillview last week, it was our replant anniversary of uh, when International Baptist Church became Hillview Community Church, the 4th of September 2011. So last week we were reflecting on 11 years of that journey. And I, 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 I've got to be honest, I'll just tell you, for me, the most exciting thing that has happened over the 11 years of Hillview Community Church is the fact that Kintour Community Church has been born through God's power, through God's power, through God's plan. And here we are. And, and, and as Ed Stetzer once said, may we not become the cul-de-sac on the, 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 the highway of God's kingdom going forward. May this not be the end of the unfolding story of God as his word goes forth across Scotland. It's so exciting to consider what the power of God has done among us. Um, now, we, we see that when we look at these big, broad things, but also as we zoom in and just consider what God is doing in people's lives. I, I know in this church there are heart for refugees. There are heart for those who require foster care. And I know that there is also endless practical care in, in ways that is seen by no one but God, in cards written, meals delivered, coffee shared, over tears and heartache and struggle. And it's just incredible to consider what God is doing in all of that. We've seen God's power at work in him bringing healing and wholeness and sustenance. I think, for example, of our, our dear sister Jenny Milne and how God has sustained her through so many extremely precarious moments when we thought God was going to take her home, difficult seasons, and God has carried her and held her and brought a degree of measure of healing as we look forward to her full and complete healing as we do for all the children of God on that last day. And there are other ways, just in the background, that folk have called out to God, asked others to come and pray for them, and have seen God work powerfully in their lives. Now, this is hard, right? We get on this topic, it gets difficult. Because does this always happen? Do we always see the healing that we desire? No. Are there many among us still needing God's healing touch? Yes. There are. Are there some from our family who have had to see loved ones fall asleep in Christ? I love the way the New Testament reads it. Fall asleep in Christ, awaiting that final and full, perfect healing on the last day. Yes, we have had to walk with people as they've encountered that. But friends, even in that, I want you to know we have seen God's power at work. 
His power at how he shapes lives that we might trust him through the deepest challenges of life and even bring us to that point where we can testify of his goodness in the midst of pain. The elders recently received a very beautiful testimony of thanksgiving from Matthew Milne that he shared uh, as he reflected on 10 years of his life at Hillview. And Matthew's had years of, of those 10 years, he's had years of part of his church family as well. And those 10 years of life in this community of faith have included some huge struggles, not least the very sudden loss of his father, Chris, who was a, 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 such a crucial, loved member of this church family in Kintour in the early years. And it was just over four years ago that Chris died very suddenly. And let me just, with Matthew's permission, let me just read an excerpt of his testimony and, and just hear the power of God here. Matthew right, wrote, I remember playing guitar for the first time in the worship band at church and fumbling the notes. Yeah, I was held by God. I remember putting on a pink apron to help with the food for the Alpha course. I remember weeping to the song never once. I remember my dad asking me how to pray. He told me he didn't know what to say, so he had just been praying the Lord's Prayer. Humbled, I told him that was more than enough. I remember dad's baptism, him feeling unworthy and uncertain, yet throwing up his arms in acceptance and triumph. Later Matthew concludes, finally, I remember my father shouting out for the Holy Spirit's fire in an equipped meeting. I only want to echo what he said. More of you, Holy Spirit. More of you, Father. More of you, Jesus. Dear friends, that's the power of God at work that enables a young man in his 20s to be able to testify and to give thanks to God for his goodness, even in the face of such heartache. Praise God for his power. Maybe others of you here today have encountered similar loss and you would not be able in this moment to testify of God's goodness and to give thanks to God. But I want you to know that the power of God is seen even in your life and that he will not let you go from his grip. Those who the Father has given to the Son will never be pulled away from Jesus Christ and you can be sure of that even in the midst of huge disappointments huge struggle huge numbness of heart we can know if you're in Christ that never gets taken away you're safe and secure in and that's the power of God it's the power of God that inspires people towards radical generosity and radical forgiveness and radical capacity to extend grace and kindness just in the day-to-day -day realities of life as we have to deal with annoying people like And we extend kindness and love to one another, even in disappointment and frustration. God's power at work among us. May we desire to more and more, more and more behold his power. But just as we close now, let's make sure that we desire not just these encouraging stories of the power of God, but let's make sure we desire God himself, desire Jesus 
himself. It's interesting, in the first half of our passage, we read of how the crowds had been struck of the the works that Jesus had been doing. Look at verse 2. It says, a large crowd was following. Why? Why were they following him? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And then after Jesus had blessed them with more food than they can enjoy, in the last verse, we see that they, they were wanting to grab Jesus and make him king. Well, why is the question. Look at verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, then they tried to make him king. But Jesus wasn't having it. It says in verse 15 that he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What's going on here? The people didn't want Jesus. They wanted what Jesus was doing. They wanted the cool things that Jesus was doing. They wanted a Jesus that could fit their agenda, that would bring freedom and peace from this Roman control that they were undergoing. They wanted the awesome stuff he could do. And that's not how we are to live. The passion of our hearts must always be Jesus himself. Not the pursuit of great things that he might do among us. We see the importance of this in the close of our passage. In the dark of night, in the stormy sea, verse 19. Um, When they drove three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Again, no huge explanation or commentary on the miracle, including the miraculous return to shore. The key thing here is Jesus' statement to them, don't fear, I'm here, it's me. Don't be afraid, you're safe, because why? Because I am here with you. It says in verse 21, they were were glad to take him into the boat. Jesus, we want you. We need you. We're home. The point is not the science. The point is not the power in and of itself, but only to the extent that these things display the wonder and the true nature of who Jesus is, the Son of God, so that by believing we might have life in his name. And friends, in this It's fundamentally different to what we are encountering at the moment as we see these displays of power across our nation. If those displays of power were to lead us to the point where we fix our eyes on the life that Queen Elizabeth II had lived, as as incredible as it was, if if that was the, the sole focus of our attention, it's woefully inadequate in terms of our lasting eternal presence before living, loving God. We need more than just to focus on even the best of examples of what is going on in our world. We need our eyes to be drawn, not just to wonderful things in this world, not even just to the wonderful things that God is doing, but in that we need our eyes to be drawn to the perfect supremacy and glory and majesty of King Jesus himself. It's in believing in him and in his power that we know life today and forevermore. So may we wonder at power this week. Not most ultimately what we're gonna see on our TVs, but may we wonder at the power of the living, present, at work, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that, may we know this life bubbling up 
within us is spilling out as we share with the world much in need. Let's pray. Father, we are very struck by this uh, unique moment in history that we're in just now. And there are so many thoughts and reflections that we have. Lord, I just pray that in everything that is happening today, in everything that is happening in our nation and across this world, Lord, that, that you would lift our eyes to see not just pomp, circumstance, not just tradition being outplayed, not even just uh, some wonderful reflections on, on a life well lived here on this earth. But I pray that through all of that, God, that you might stir our hearts and stir the hearts of this nation and this world to see that there is more to this world than just the temporal realities before us, the temporal power structures, the temporal institutions. These things will come and go, God, but you will never fade away. You will never pass away. And I pray that in these days we would see the supremacy, the majesty, the power of King Jesus. And in that we would believe in him and know life in his name and know joy and passion for Jesus, for you, our great King. And that, Lord, that life, that we would know that life welling up inside us and going forth from Kintore Community Church to the northeast of Scotland and indeed to all the nations. God, we want to magnify your name in these days. We worship you. We thank you for the awesome God you are at work in so many ways around about us. Oh God, be glorified. Be seen as who you are in these days, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.